High Noon with George Hook. Thanks to ClaytonHotels.com with 17 hotels across Ireland and the UK. Well, I'm joined by Bill Hughes. Time for an essential song. Last week, uh, it was Herman's Hermits, wasn't it? It was, Mr. Peter Noon. Yeah, which I loved. I mean, you can't actually repeat that every week. So I'm... I'm uh, you know, a bit like Hamlet now. I'm I'm at the sticking point and I'm going to face whatever comes down the track. I've got a feeling I have delivered again this week. Are you serious? Yeah, because I followed a simple basic rule. A song that meant an awful lot to me as a child that now I look back on with different a, a different jaundiced eye. But at the time... Jaundiced? A jaundiced eye. But that means you don't like it now. I can... I can listen to it, but I like what it brings up. I like right, the feelings okay. that it embraces. <clears throat> okay. And it was recorded in 1959, released in 1959, became a massive hit in 1960 for a man called Jim Reeves. And the song is... It put your slate lips a little closer to the phone. The very one. Do you know the first time I heard it? I heard it in Cafola's in O'Connell Street when I was in Dublin about a month having emigrated from Cork. (laughs) And I heard it on the jukebox. While you were having a Knickerbocker Glory. While I was having a (laughs) Knickerbocker. Because you couldn't get Knickerbocker Glories in Cork. Oh, really? No, there was no such thing as an ice cream sort of Ah. place. Oh, okay. Well, He'll Have to Go was a song my aunt's worked in the Shamrock Club in Birmingham yeah. and they would come home on holidays every summer uh-huh. and they would bring records with them and we'd put them on the old record player but they were complete nuts about Jim Reeves. I think both of them were in, Josie and Margaret, they were in love with Jim Reeves and uh, my mother, I think, was in love with him as well. He seemed to have it all. He was known as Gentleman Jim. Yes, but the thing about him, I think, was he also, you know all about range of singers. I don't know what it means, but you know all about it. In this one, there are a couple of moments where he goes down low. Isn't that right? Chet Atkins said, Jim always wanted to be a tenor, but I wanted him to be a baritone. And I was right, of course. After he changed his voice to that smooth, deeper sound, he was immensely popular. And that was Chet Atkins, who was his producer and mentor at RCA Victor. So Reeves first heard He'll Have to Go, uh, recorded by a guy called Billy Brown. And Billy Brown released it. It wasn't a hit. Uh, It was written by Joe and Audrey Allison, a husband and wife who wrote a song about their relationship. And it was all about the fact that she was very soft-spoken and when he was away travelling, he would have to say, put your sweet lips a little closer <laughs> to the phone. I can't hear you. So, no yeah. So, um, now, in typical records, um, the number of times this comes up where the record company didn't believe in the song, so they put it out as a B-side. It was this, the flip side of a song called in a mansion stands by love. And I, I don't... Uh, stands my love, sorry. And I, I, I have no recollection of that song. Not at all. But it was released as the B-side, but it was the radio DJs who picked up on it and they loved it. Now, to be fair, it has kind of had the A-team on it because it had Floyd Kramer 
on piano. Oh, yeah. Marvin Hughes on vibraphone, Bob Moore on bass, Buddy Harmon on drums, Hank Garland on guitar, and the Anita Kerr singers were the background vocals. So it came with a but, really good... But you never played Floyd Kramer. Uh, Floyd Kramer has been on loads of the recordings that we've... You, yeah, you but know. you haven't used Floyd Kramer. You did well, a great okay, hit with what was what? I don't know. Tell me. I can't remember. There you go. There you go. This is why. But anyway, <laughs> we should do Clyde, Floyd Kramer. We will do Floyd, Floyd Kramer. So anyway, the whole thing was that uh, he'll have to go. It was also covered by Elvis Presley in 1976. And it was his last known studio recording session. So it is believed to be the final song that Elvis ever recorded. Really? Yeah, in 1976. Is that available? Um, apparently on rare recordings of Elvis. All right, OK. So Jim Reeves, what do you want to know about him? He was born in 1923. Uh, he was born in Texas in a little town, Galloway, near the town of Carthage. He was a home birth. He was the youngest of eight kids. Um, he... Like, growing up, he was a tremendous sportsman. Um, but he also had a hankering for speech and drama. So he won a scholarship, an athletic scholarship, to get into the University of Texas. And he enrolled to study speech and drama, to do sport on the side. But he quit after only six weeks because he just wanted to do some physical work. And he got a job in the shipyards in Houston. And he resumed playing baseball because he was playing in the semi-pro leagues. Um, and this was during the war in 1944 uh, as a right-handed pitcher. And he played for the minor leagues for three years, but he served his uh, he severed his sciatic nerve and that sort of ended his, now, uh, his career. That's really interesting mm -hmm. because the shipyards in Houston mm -hmm. must have been only there for World War Two because mm -hmm. they're not there now. They're not there now. Because Houston is like landlocked. Yeah. So they must have been building these ships and then taking them down probably to Galveston or somewhere to actually launch them. Well, That's really interesting. Yeah, well, they must have had low, you know, it must have been boom then. They oh, wanted course, young men. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. what happened was on the 9th of March in 43, Jim Reeves reported to the Army Induction Centre uh, for his preliminary physical examination and they found that his heart was irregular. And so he was given an F4 discharge. And that's lucky why he him. was, yeah, lucky him. He didn't have to go and fight in the Second World War. Um, so he did take to being a radio announcer because everybody always told him he had a beautiful speaking voice. And then he had this singing voice and he started gigging in all sorts of places, playing honky tonks and playing. But his break kind of came when he got a job as an announcer in Shreveport, Louisiana, which was home to the Louisiana Hayride was a really famous it was like the equivalent of the Grand Old Opry that's right and yeah. a lot of people got their first uh, outings there like Elvis and Jerry Lee Lewis and, and, and obviously you see Jim. I know where you, sometimes I, when you're talking about places I'm not really sure but I know Houston mm. lived there and then I know Shreveport because it's on the border mm. of Louisiana and Texas mm. you know mm. um, which, which, which is it's a very interesting part of America yeah um, so your man now is radio announcing. He's radio announcing, but he's also singing. And he starts laying demos and then they start releasing them. And the next thing, he starts having hits. So he had a hit with I Love You, which was a, a, a duet with Ginny Wright. Then Mexican Joe, 
which I'm sure you remember. And no. Bimbo, I remember Mexican Joe really clearly. And uh, they went to straight straight to number one on the country charts in 1954. And uh, But due to his rec- uh, growing popularity, he released his first album in November 1955, just called Jim Reeves Sings. And his star was on the rise and he signed a 10-year contract with uh, Steve Scholes at RCA Victor. And Scholes went on to produce a lot of his hits, but it was really under Chet Atkins' wing that he came. So uh, in it, just being able to, to do the radio announcing, to do the singing, to do the touring, he got to join the Grand Old Opry itself in 1955. And he was such a hit that the fans insisted he be invited back and he was a regular fill-in guest. So... From his earliest recordings, he relied on this really loud way of performing. It was a really loud, full-on vocal. And it was only when Chad Atkins said, you know, stop, take that down, uh, go into your lower register, do all that. So when he started doing that, RCA went crazy and said, no, that's not the artist we signed. But Chad Atkins said, believe me, this is what the audience want to hear. And so it was a fight all the way. And then also Jim Reeves was instrumental in creating the new style of country music, which brought in violins, lusher background arrangements, and it became known as the Nashville Sound. And so he became known as a crooner and he released all these songs like Adios Amigo. I remember that. Welcome to my world. Yes. Am I losing you? Yeah. These were all number one songs. And but all post yeah. the song we're talking about. All, all, they were, no, they were, well, they were leading into the song. Were they? Yeah, uh, all around the same time because everything was coming uh, together. But his biggest success was He'll Have to Go. Yeah. And that went to number one and it stayed there for 14 weeks. So, I, I, do you want me to tell you where the Cofolas was? <laughs> well, if you go across O'Connell's Bridge heading north, right? Okay. And you're heading up towards Middle Abbey Street, uh-huh. okay? It, it might have been Cofolas, it might have been Fortes, but it was on the left hand side. And I was upstairs, and I was upstairs sitting at a thing, having a knickerbocker glory when I heard Jim Reeves, and it would have been 1960. It would have been April or May 1960. That's why it was number one. So will yeah. we hear it? Will we listen to oh, it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And particularly then, um, we'll hear this deep register that Chet Atkins was talking about. It's Jim Reeves, and he'll have to go from 1960. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone Let's pretend that we're together all alone I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low And you can tell your friend there with you He'll have to go Whisper to me Tell me do you love me true Or is he holding you The way I do 
Though love is blind, make up your mind, I've got to know. Should I hang up, or will you tell him he'll have to go? You can't say the words I want to hear while you're with another man. Do you want me answer yes or no? Darling, I will understand. Put your sweet lips a little closer to the phone. Let's pretend that we're together all alone. I'll tell the man to turn the jukebox way down low. And you can tell your friend there with you, he'll have to go. Jim Reeves and he'll have to go. Bill Hughes, who selected extraordinary pick. I mean, there's something happening here, like with us. Either you're scared of me and you're afraid to come in with something I won't like, or we are just finally in our old age kind of getting (laughs) together. I've brought enough things that you don't like, and sometimes I don't need to stoke the beast. But I have to tell you, Ireland was in love with Jim Reeves. Oh, yeah, true. And he had an amazing love affair with Ireland, so much so that in 1963, he came on a national tour No, he was big, Ireland. yeah. He was massive. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. And he uh, toured Ireland and Britain. And he toured the US military bases. Uh, but he came to Ireland from May 30th to June 19th, 1963. And he performed in most counties in Ireland. Uh, He was occasionally uh, cutting the performances short, though, because he was unhappy with the available pianos at the concert venues. You can imagine. He felt they weren't right. But these weren't concert venues. No, they weren't at all. They were country. So he gave an interview to Spotlight magazine in June 1963, and he expressed his concerns about the tour schedule and the condition of the pianos, but he said he was really pleased with the audiences. And there was a press reception for him at the Shannon Shamrock Inn uh, by Tom Monaghan of the Bunratty Castle. And uh, the show band singers of the time, Maisie McDaniel, and Dermot O'Brien uh, welcomed him officially to, to the venue. Okay, Dermot O'Brien played the accordion. Yeah, Dermot O'Brien and his clubmen. Yes. Now, yeah. Dermot O'Brien is responsible for one of the most depressing Sunday <laughs> afternoons of my entire life. Oh. The Cork footballers came up to play loud in the All-Ireland football final, captained by an accordion player, so we couldn't lose. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. Dermot O'Brien. There yeah. you go. Well, Maisie McDaniel, who you may remember, had picked me up on your way down. She, oh, she was yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, then a photograph appeared in the Limerick Leader uh, in June and press coverage continued until... Uh, so so the whole thing with, with Jim Reeves was that he he loved being here 
And there were a number of accounts of his dances in the local newspapers. And a good account in particular was given in the Kilkenny People of his dance <laughs> in the Mayfair ballroom. <laughs> 1,700 people oh, were yeah. present. Those were the days. Yeah. And then there was a photograph in the Donegal Democrat of him singing in the Pavese ballroom on June the 7th and an account of his non-appearance on stage at the Diamond in Kiltimock, County Mayo, in the Western People, and that was because the piano was lousy. And he planned to record <laughs> an album of popular Irish songs, and he had three number one songs in Ireland during 63 and 64. Welcome to my world, I love you because, and yeah. I won't forget you. And uh, then his, he, he recorded Danny Boy and Maureen, now, he was permitted to perform in Ireland because he allowed show bands to share the bill with him. Oh, of course. But yeah. no such allowance was offered by the British Musicians Union, so he couldn't tour ah, in Britain. Right, okay. And so we got the benefit of it. So British fans came over in their I hordes on the ferry yeah. to come and see him. Yeah. Um, so, but uh, but mm. the, the fella then who kind of copied him most mm. on the show band tour mm-hmm. was Larry Cunningham. Yeah, he had that that full on. He had voice. that he kind had of low register voice. stuff. Yeah. So then tragically, on Friday, July thirty first, nineteen sixty four, when he was only forty one years of age, Reeves and his business partner and manager Dean Manuel, who was also the pianist in the band, they were flying from Batesville, Arkansas, en route to Nashville in in Reeves' own single engine. Beechcraft, Debonair, and he was at the controls. And they were flying over Brentwood, Tennessee, got into a violent thunderstorm, and the subsequent investigation showed that the small airplane, um, that Reeves had suffered spatial disorientation because of the storm. And his friend and fellow legendary musician, Marty Robbins, recalled hearing the wreck happen and alerting the authorities in which direction he heard the impact. But it took them 42 hours to find the wreckage so that by the time it was found, so thousands of people travelled to pay their last respects at his funeral two days later. And the coffin was draped in flowers from fans and was driven through the streets of Nashville and then on to Reeves' final resting place near his birthplace in Carthage, Texas. So... I have done it again. Uh, Jim Reeves and uh, Bill Hughes. And uh, with the programme tonight, as always, with uh, the team of Alex Russo and Kira Courtney, Bill will be back next week with another essential song. And I'll be back tomorrow at high noon.